Lesson 2 from the series on Daniel for January 4 through to 10, From Jerusalem to Babylon. Read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sunday, January 5, God's Sovereignty. At first glance, the book of Daniel begins with a sombre note of defeat. Judah has capitulated to Nebuchadnezzar, and the temple vessels have been taken from Jerusalem to the land of Shinar. The word Shinar appears in the Bible in Genesis 11.2 as the location of the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11 verse 2. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Shinar is an ominous sign as it alludes to a project rooted in open defiance of God. But even if the builders of Babel failed in their attempt to reach the heavens, external appearances suggested that Nebuchadnezzar and his gods, located in the land of Shinar, had overpowered the covenant God of Israel. Still, the opening lines of Daniel make it clear that the defeat of Jerusalem is not credited to the superior power of the Babylonian king. Rather, it has occurred because, as it reads in Daniel 1 verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his, that's Nebuchadnezzar's, hand. Much earlier, God announces that should his people forget him and break the covenant, he would send them as captives to a foreign land. So, Daniel knows that behind and beyond the military power of Babylon, the God of heaven is leading the march of history. It is this clear view of God's sovereignty that sustains these young men and gives them strength and courage to face the temptation and pressure of the Babylonian empire. Question. Read Second Kings 21 verses 10 to 16 and chapter 24 verses 18 to 20 and Jeremiah 3.13. Why does God give Judah and Jerusalem into the hands of the Babylonians? Second Kings 21 beginning at verse 10. And the Lord spoke by his servants the prophets saying, Because Manasseh king of Judah has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies, because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood, till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides his sin by which he made Judah sin, in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And Second Kings chapter 24, verse 18 onwards. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamital, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. 
For, because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 13. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God, and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. As we face the challenges of the 21st century, we need to recapture the perception of God that is so vividly reflected in the book of Daniel. According to this book, the God whom we serve not only drives the forces of history through his sovereignty, but also mercifully intervenes in the lives of his people to provide them with crucial help in times of need. And, as we shall see later, what God did for the Hebrew captives he will do for his people in the end time, regardless of the various attacks on them and their faith. So to finish today, what are some of the challenges your faith faces now, either from outside sources, from within the church, or from your own personal defects of character? How can you learn to lean on the power of God to help you overcome whatever is before you? Monday, January 6, Faith Under Pressure Question, read Daniel chapter 1. What pressures are put on these young men to conform? Daniel chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand, with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king." Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favour and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, 
I fear, my lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter, and tested them ten days. And... At the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams." Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Upon arrival in Babylon, these four young men have to face a most serious challenge to their faith and convictions. They are selected to undergo special training in order to serve the king. Ancient kings would often recruit some of the best captives to serve in the royal palace, and thereby switch their loyalty to the king and the gods of the empire that captured them. Indeed, the whole process was intended to effect a conversion and indoctrination that would result in a change of world view. As part of that process, the Hebrew captives had their names changed. A new name singles a change of ownership and a change of destiny. Thus, by renaming the captives, the Babylonians intend to assert authority over them and force them to assimilate the values and culture of Babylon. Their original names, which point to the God of Israel, are replaced with names honouring foreign deities. In addition, the king determines that the young men should eat from his table. Eating from the king's food had deep implications in antiquity. It meant undivided allegiance to the king and reflected dependence on him. And as the food was usually offered to the god or gods of the empire, eating also had a profound religious meaning. It obviously meant acceptance of and participation in the king's worship system. Thus, Daniel and his companions find themselves in the challenging circumstances. For them, to remain loyal to God and survive the overwhelming power of the imperial system demands nothing less than a miracle. To further complicate matters, the city of Babylon itself also stood as a monumental expression of human achievement. 
the architectural beauty of the Babylonian temples, the hanging gardens, and the Euphrates River meandering across the city conveyed an image of unsurpassable might and glory. So, Daniel and his friends are offered an opportunity for promotion and the chance to enjoy the benefits and prosperity of this system. They can cease to be Hebrew captives and become royal officers. Will they compromise their principles to tread the easy path to glory? So to finish today, in what ways could these boys have rationalised a decision to compromise their convictions? In what ways might you now be facing similar, if subtler, challenges? Tuesday, January 7, Firm Resolution Question. Read Daniel chapter 1, verses 7 to 20. We see two factors at work here, Daniel's free will and the intervention of God. What important principle also exists here? Daniel 1, beginning at verse 7. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favour and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So... Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and, as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter, and tested them ten days, and at the end of ten days their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, At the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. It appears that the four Hebrew captives do not object to their Babylonian names. 
Most likely there's nothing they can do about it, apart from using their Hebrew names among themselves. But, in regard to the food and wine from the king's table, it is certainly in their power to consume it or not. Thus, the free choice of the four men is very important here. However, if an officer can change their names, he also can change the menu. There are two likely reasons the four do not want to eat from the king's table. First, the meals from the king's table may contain unclean meats, as we read in Leviticus chapter 11. Why don't we have a quick look there and... uh, We'll look at, um, just start at verse 1 for a little while. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hoofs, and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud, or those that have cloven hoofs, The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the water, whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. They shall be an abomination to you. You shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you. And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, and the falcon after its kind. Every raven after its kind. The ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after its kind. The little owl, the fisher owl, and the screech owl. The white owl, the jackdaw, and the carrion vulture. The stork, the heron after its kind. The hoopie, and the bat. All flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours, those which have jointed legs above their feet, with which to leap on the earth. These you may eat, the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. Second, food is first offered as a meal to the god's image and then sent to the king for his consumption. Thus, when Daniel makes clear, without resorting to subterfuge or deception, that his request has a religious motivation, that is, The food at the palace will defile him and his friends. And he said this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. 
he is being very courageous. As we look into the interaction between Daniel and the Babylonian officer, a few important points stand out. First, Daniel seems to understand well the difficult position of the officer, so he proposed a test. Ten days of consuming the alternative meals should suffice to demonstrate the benefits of the diet and thus to put down the fears of the officer. Second, Daniel's certainty that the outcome would be so positive within such a short time span stems from absolute confidence in God. Third, the choice of a diet of vegetables and water points back to the food God gave humanity at creation, where we see this in Genesis one twenty nine, a fact that perhaps influences Daniel's choice as well. After all, what could be a better diet than the one God originally gave us? Genesis one twenty nine reads, And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. So, to finish today, What is so important about Daniel's free choice that opens the way for God to act as he does? Daniel 1.9 reads, Now God had brought Daniel into the favour and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. What lessons can we draw from this about the importance of our choices? How should our trust in God impact our choices? Wednesday, January 8. Unblemished and wise. Daniel and his companions are chosen for royal service because they fit within the profile established by Nebuchadnezzar. According to the king, palace officers must have no blemish and be good-looking, as it says in Daniel 1 verse 4. Interestingly, sacrifices and people serving in the sanctuary should have no blemish, as we read in Leviticus 22, verse 17 to 25, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel, or of the strangers in Israel, who offers his sacrifice for any of or his vows, or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow, or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land, nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God, because 
Their corruption is in them, and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. And Leviticus 21, verses 16 to 24. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame, who has a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or broken hand, or is a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye, or eczema or scab, or is a eunuch, no man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect, he shall not come near to offer the bread to his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy, only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar, because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons, and to all the children of Israel. The Babylonian king seems to compare himself to the God of Israel, insofar as he demands similar qualifications for those serving in his palace. On the other hand, such qualifications may inadvertently suggest that Daniel and his compatriots were living sacrifices for God as they faced the challenges of the Babylonian Empire. Question. Read Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, Matthew 16, 24 to 26, and 2 Corinthians 4, 17. What do these verses tell us about how we can stay faithful amid whatever temptations we face? Galatians 2, beginning at verse 19. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Matthew 16, beginning at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And Second Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God honours the loyalty of the four Hebrew captives, and at the end of their ten-day testing period, they look healthier and better nourished than the other students who have eaten from the royal table. So, God gives his four servants knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and to Daniel alone, God gives understanding in all visions and dreams, as we read in Daniel 1.17. This gift will play a significant role in Daniel's prophetic ministry. Just as God honours the faith of his servants in the Babylonian court, he gives us wisdom as we face the challenges of the world. From the experience of Daniel and his companions, we learn that it is indeed possible to remain untainted by the corrupting elements of our society. We also learn that we do not need to isolate ourselves from society and its cultural life in order to serve God. 
Daniel and his companions not only live amid a culture built on lies and errors and myths, but are schooled on those lies and errors and myths, and yet they remain faithful. So to finish the day, no matter where we live, we face the challenge of staying faithful to what we believe amid cultural and social influences that are contrary to that belief. Identify the negative influences in your culture and ask yourself, how well am I defying them? Thursday, January 9, Final Exam Question. Read Daniel chapter 1, verses 17 to 21. What is the key to the success of the four men? Also look at Job 38, verse 36, Proverbs 2, 6, and James 1, verse 5. Beginning at Daniel 1, and verse 17. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined him, them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. And Job 38 verse 36, Who has put wisdom in the mind, or who has given understanding to the heart? And Proverbs 2 verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And James 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. After three years of training in the Babylonian university, the four Hebrews are brought before the king for the final examination. They not only are healthier than the other students, but they surpass them in knowledge and wisdom. The four are immediately hired to serve the king. We shouldn't forget that this knowledge and wisdom, no doubt, comprises a lot of paganism. Yet they learn it anyway, and obviously they learn it well, too, even if they don't believe it. Nebuchadnezzar may think that such an accomplishment would have something to do with the palace diet and the training program the four students have undergone. However, Daniel and his companions know, and the narrative clearly shows, that their superior performance owes nothing to the Babylonian system. Everything comes from God. What a powerful example of what God can do for those who trust Him. We should not fear the overwhelming power of media, governments and other institutions that may threaten to destroy our identity as God's children. As we place our confidence in God, we can be sure that He can sustain us in difficult moments and preserve us against all odds. The key is for us to make the right choices when confronted with challenges to our faith. Looking at Daniel 1, 
we learn some very important lessons about God. 1. God is in control of history. 2. God gives wisdom so that we can navigate the hostile environment of our culture and society. 3. God honours those who trust in Him through inner conviction and lifestyle. The chapter concludes by pointing out that Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus in verse 21. The mention of Cyrus here is significant. It provides a glimpse of hope amid an experience of exile. Cyrus is the one chosen by God to liberate his people and allow them to go back to Jerusalem. Though the chapter begins with the appearance of defeat and exile, it concludes with a glimpse of hope and a homecoming. This is our God. Even amid the most difficult moments of our lives, He always opens a window of hope so that we can see the glory and joy that lie beyond the suffering and pain. Friday, January 10, and today is my 53rd wedding anniversary to my beautiful wife, Marion. But let's get on with the lesson. In the book Education, page 54, we read, Daniel and his companions in Babylon were, in their youth, apparently more favoured of fortune than was Joseph in the earlier years of his life in Egypt. Yet they were subjected to tests of character scarcely less severe. From the comparative simplicity of their Judean home, these youth of royal line were transported to the most magnificent of cities, to the court of its greatest monarch, and were singled out to be trained for the king's special service. Strong were the temptations surrounding them in that corrupt and luxurious court. The fact that they, the worshippers of Jehovah, were captives to Babylon, that the vessels of God's house had been placed in the temple of the gods of Babylon, that the king of Israel was himself a prisoner in the hands of the Babylonians, was boastfully cited by the victors as evidence that their religion and customs were superior to the religion and customs of the Hebrews. Under such circumstances, through the very humiliations that Israel's departure from his commandments had invited, God gave to Babylon evidence of his supremacy, of the holiness of his requirements, and the sure result of obedience. And this testimony he gave as alone it could be given, through those who still held fast their loyalty. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, in class, talk about the various cultural and social challenges that you face as Christians in your society. What are they, and how can the church as a whole learn to respond to them? Two, think about how easy it would have been for Daniel and the others to have compromised their faith. After all, the Babylonians were the conquerors. The Jewish nation had been defeated. What more proof was needed that the Babylonian gods were greater than the God of Israel, and thus Daniel and his companions needed to accept that fact? 
In this case, what important biblical truths might they have held on to that helped sustain them during this time? Let's look at a couple of texts, Jeremiah 5.19. And it shall be when when you say, Why does the Lord our God do all these things to us? Then you shall answer them, Just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve aliens in a land that is not yours. And Jeremiah 7, verses 22 to 34. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices, but this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts, and went backward, and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt, until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore, You shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Cut off your hair and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in their fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will buy in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. What should this tell us about how important it is to know our Bibles and to understand present truth? 3. Why is faithfulness so important, not just for ourselves, but for those for whom our faithfulness witnesses to the character of the Lord whom we seek to serve? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Novel Approach to Evangelism, and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. 
University student Samuel Naumann has a unique way of sharing Seventh-day Adventist literature in Germany, and it appears to be winning hearts. Naumann, together with his father and grandfather, sets up a mobile book booth in city centres and at annual festivals. Then a family member stands a short distance away and hands out gift cards to passers-by. Those who accept a gift card are directed to the booth to choose a free book. The result? The family can provide a personal touch and the book taker may be more likely to read the book. We have received reactions from people who attend festivals, said Nauman, a 25-year-old Slavonian student, studies student at the University of Leipzig. Some come back and say, I took a book last year, it was good, and I want another one. The gift card idea took a circular route to Germany where the Adventist Church's 35,000 members have struggled to make inroads in a highly secularised society of 83 million people. Naumann's older brother saw a similar book project in an Adventist summer camp in Poland. The Poles, in turn, borrowed the idea from Ukraine. In any case, the Naumann family loved the idea and started making the rounds after securing a trailer to serve as the book booth. Visitors to the booth are asked about their interests as they scan dozens of titles, such as Ellen White's The Desire of Ages and The Great Controversy, and health books like Health and Wellness, Secrets That Will Change Your Life, by Mark Finley and Peter Landless. The conversations provide a witnessing opportunity, especially when visitors choose a book and inevitably ask whether it really is free, Nauman said. Nauman likes to reply, you can take the book, it's already been paid for. Why? the visitor often asks. It's like the cross, Nauman says. Jesus paid the price, you just had to accept. The only thing it will cost is your time to read. That's the price you have to pay. Reaction to the books has been largely positive, he said. His father, Stefan, recalled a high school teacher who liked the great controversy so much that he asked for nine extra copies to share with students in his history class. Another time, a European Union politician took a copy of the great controversy and read the thick volume in a single night. He returned the next day to ask for a copy for his son, a reporter. Nauman, pictured on the left, was unaware of any baptisms, but he wasn't worried. I consider this ministry to be the sowing of seeds, and someone else will harvest, he said. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harold for Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, Christian Record Services for the Blind, the Sabbath School Department and Hope Channel. You can also listen on the official Sabbath School 4 app and the Apple iTunes app, Sabbath School with Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.